Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. We will be joined by Daniel Sanchez, an engineering director and Bitcoin hobbyist. Daniel's a really good friend of ours, and in our sphere of friends and colleagues, the most knowledgeable person about Bitcoin we know. He says repeatedly in this episode that he's not an expert, and perhaps not in any formal sense, but he's very well read about the topic and definitely convinced Guillaume and I of its utility. In this episode, we won't go into how blockchain works and what Bitcoin is in a literal sense, meaning how it works as a cryptocurrency. But Daniel will take us through why he believes Bitcoin is a true store of value, especially in a world like today, where our typical fiat currency like dollars and euros aren't linked to any physical assets like gold anymore. Expect to learn what money is, how the concept originated and how it's quote-unquote layered, what problems that brings with the currencies we have today, and why those problems don't apply to Bitcoin. In the next episode, Daniel will relate Bitcoin to topics we've already covered in our podcast and how the future of Treasury might include it in topics such as hedging, short-term finance, and even cash pooling. Don't forget to rate the podcast on the app you're listening on now. It's how podcasts get discovered on apps such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, etc. And follow us on Instagram, where we remind you of some key topics we've covered over the last few episodes so you can keep all the knowledge fresh in your head as well. And on with the episode with our amazing guest, Daniel Sanchez. So, Daniel, um, the world of money is changing overall, mm-hmm. right? And here at Corporate Treasury 101, we talk a lot about money, cash, in a lot of sense. And when we talk about cash, we talk about euros and dollars and, and whatnot and GBP. Um, There's this new form of cash or new form of exchange of value, which has emerged over the last 10 years or so, and certainly become mainstream over the last five years, which is Bitcoin, right? Um, What is Bitcoin? So, uh, first of all, I'm not an expert. Yes. So everything that you hear is based on what I've read, what I've heard, what I've gone into. Over the, over the past, I would say, two, two and a half years, yes. So, uh, Bitcoin is, and I'd like to keep Bitcoin separately from, from cryptocurrencies, uh, because Bitcoin is really what, uh, what my passion goes into, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the way I see Bitcoin today is it's a, it's a pure form of value, okay? So, hence a bit the, the digital gold element, right? Uh, why do I see it as the pure form of value? Once, because it's since the, the beginning of Bitcoin, it has had some adoption, right? It has adoption from a retail point of view. So it started with a few individuals, it moved into more individuals, famous people, and now even to a certain extent, some specific institutions, which has allowed it to have a specific value in today's currency, in fiat currency, dollars or euros. So that's why Bitcoin is a pure form of value. It's it's more than just uh, than just digital gold, right? Mm-hmm. Why why do I say this? I say this one is because anyone can buy and hold it, right? Mm-hmm. Because each Bitcoin is composed of a hundred and million subunits called satoshis. So if you want today, you can go and you can buy one euro, ten cents, ten dollars worth of Bitcoin, and anyone can do it, right? Anyone. Almost anyone, as long as you have the right digital acumen to know where to buy it and how to get access to it, mm-hmm. right? And the beauty of it is you can actually do it and you can hold it without having to pay any monthly fees. 
you don't have to open a bank account. You don't have to share your identity with uh, with banks, etc. Right. So it's it's uh, or even having the risk of having it confiscated by anyone if you know how to do it in the right way. Right. So I think that's that's for me is point number one when it comes to value. The second part is it's a counterparty free asset. If you buy your Bitcoin and you own it or you hold it, right, whether it's cold storage or you print out your seat or whatever it is, it has you have no risk of losing it except for yourself. So you don't have to rely on government, which in the end is the ones who provide the value to our fiat currency. You don't have to rely on banks not going bankrupt. You don't have to rely on the integrity of a safe of keeping your gold or money inside it, right? And then the, the, the third element of it, why I call it a pure value, is the the resiliency of Bitcoin, right? The fact that today you have around 50,000 nodes across the world, mm-hmm. which keep the full history or the full ledger of Bitcoin since the very beginning, which basically keep it safe, right? Keep it safe, keep it consistent, uh, keep it real. That's my my definition and the value of what I see from, from Bitcoin. Very good. So we want to steer a little bit away from the technical aspects of distributed ledger, etc. There's plenty of podcasts out there on that and, and, and we can we don't want to go that. This is corporate treasury one oh one. We want to talk about really Bitcoin as a store of value. Now you called it digital gold or more than digital gold. Um where does that comparison come from to gold? A lot of people say Bitcoin is digital gold. Um why are we comparing it to gold and what's the role or the historic role of gold as cash? Okay, so uh, going back into that, right? So once again, keep, keep on making the disclaimer, no expert, yes? So all of this comes through through what I've read, yes? Uh, but it comes through what the layers of money are, right? And I think if, if people really want to understand the details, there's there's the great book out there, Layered Money by Nick Batia. I would recommend to read it if, if this really entices you. We'll put it in the show notes. That would be great. That would be great, right? Uh, so let's talk about gold first, right? So even before gold, the way that the economy would run hundreds, thousands of years ago was barter, right? So people would negotiate and exchange services for services, goods for services, etc. That's not very scalable. That's not very efficient. Uh, it only allowed to get to a certain level of development, right? Um, and so when it came to moving from one place to the other or when it came to wanting to grow wanting to be ambitious wanting to be rich wanting to develop wanting to invest there was no means of doing it right so the the rate of evolution was very very slow right um then came gold or better gold coins so a precious metal a metal that was rare a metal that was not could not be affected by weather or external conditions right so what happened Kingdoms, empires, they all made use of gold to build what was called currency at that point in time, which was gold coins, right? So hence the basis where gold comes in terms of the the, the first true form of value that was tangible, fungible, divisible, could be transported and could be easily exchanged, whether it be for other gold, whether it be for services or for goods, right? So that's where the first truth of, of value come from. And this became the, the first layer money ever made right um as as humanity evolved as we got more ambitious and we tried to expand right 
Uh, we've all heard about uh, trading houses and banks and the Venetian houses giving letters of credit for the people who wanted to travel or trade, right? So um, this is when actually the first signs of transitioning from gold or transforming the value of gold into a note that could be exchanged for the same value somewhere else started to emerge, okay? These trading houses actually became very, very powerful, right? Because they became the center of where all commerce was coming through, where all gold or all notes were being transactioned. Mm -hmm. So obviously, what do governments, what do kings, what do emperors want to do? So they want to take over control, right? So what actually happened is that uh, governments took over this first, uh, this, uh, let's call it this emission of notes, took over the custody of precious metals, right? And started making their own currency, right? So uh, that's where gold-backed currency started to come in from, right? Um, and then basically, these gold-backed currency became what's called a second layer of money. Once government started to take control of this, right? Uh, and they took control between that first layer, right? So the gold and, and the second layer, the... Um, it was a super important step because it was the first moment in human history where whatever value you wanted to exchange, the government had their fingers in it, the government or the kingdom or the empire, yeah. right? You could not, you could still barter, but that would not make you rich. Yeah. You could still barter, but that would not give you money to invest or money to grow your business, right? Uh, so it really came into, uh, it really was what created and brought the government into our lives in every single point, right? Because, because money in the end is what we earn, it's what we spend, it's what we spend most of the time doing, right? Why is that a problem? Because it sounds like... I'm a... not saying it's a problem, okay. right? I'm not saying it's a problem as soon as it started, right? Okay. As long as it was gold back, that was perfectly fine, right? Okay. Now, since the government took over, mm -hmm. right? There's a point in time in which the number of layers started to increase, right? So what happened is these... So, so at this point, we're at two layers. This point, so we're at two layers. So and, and, and we will we will remain at two layers, right? Because then okay. it's very difficult to, to, to talk about the, the different layers that actually exist. But the second point at which it comes is these trading houses, these initial banks that started, they still wanted to do business, right? Mm -hmm. So the way to do business was... Uh, they actually started taking the notes of credit or the bills of exchange or mm -hmm. the notes of debt from those empires, those kingdoms, those governments that were emitted by those national banks, mm -hmm. right? They started in taking uh, uh, money from or the, the fiat money from, from customers, from consumers, right? Yeah. Uh, and so this started making the distance in between what you and I spend day to day and what would have been a gold-backed currency okay. start to become bigger and bigger. Okay. Okay. Those number of levels increased. Yes. Right. What happens when that level of numbers in when those levels increased? What happens when I give you ten euros and you give mm -hmm. Hussam ten euros, yes. and then Hussam then gives another person eight euros? Right. What's the trust of that last person? going to make sure that or what is the trust that I have that last person is mm -hmm. going to pay all the way back up the chain right so mm -hmm. the amount of risk that something breaks in that money chain increases okay right because in the end 
you cannot count that every single banker will do the right thing. That every single banker, when I give them money to deposit, mm -hmm. that they're not going to loan out more than what they should, right? Mm -hmm. That they're not going to steal all the money and run away to the Bahamas, yeah. right? So counterparty risk increases as the number of layers mm -hmm. increased, right? So you had gold reserves kept in, let's call it the Bank of England, yeah. right? The Bank of England then emits the notes to to the government of England, which then mm -hmm. issues debt, right? Yeah. Which then can be bought by other banks, which can be used as collateral for then lending or borrowing, mm -hmm. right? And so it cascades down as you go yeah. throughout the full system, right? So that increases counterparty risk. Then there is a, a pivotal moment when this happens, which is at a certain point in time, so I'm not even going to talk in terms of when we moved off the gold standard or not, mm -hmm. but at a certain point in time, fractional reserve came into play. It actually became legal. What is fractional reserve? Fractional yes. reserve means that if I deposit 100 euros into the bank, yeah. the bank is only obliged to keep 10 euros of it. They can mm. actually use the remaining 90 euros to lend it off to someone. Yeah. Uh, what does this do? This also increases the counterparty risk. It doesn't mean anything is going to happen. Nothing ever means anything is going to happen, mm -hmm. right? But the amount of risk increases. Okay, so until everyone goes to the bank to take out the until money, everyone is yes, until you have a bank run, right? Yes. And you can have a bank run for many reasons. Either the government says that they're not going to allow people to take money out of the bank, as mm -hmm. simple as that, right? Uh, or there's a currency devaluation or a series of things. So a lot of instances can trigger that. So why is Bitcoin called digital? Why is Bitcoin called digital gold, or why is it compared to digital gold? Is because as I mentioned before earlier on, right, the distance in between Bitcoin and the person who owns it and the real Bitcoin is only as big as you want to make it because you can hold it yourself. You do not have to rely on any counterparty risk. Mm -hmm. You can take the risk as much as you want because you can put it on lending platforms, you can lend it to a friend, you can lend it to a friend's friend, right? So, but it depends purely on you and you're not dependent on one. The fractional reserves that banks are entitled to, mm -hmm. you're not dependent on the trust that the government has that it will repay its debt. Mm -hmm. You're not dependent on how much debt that government is going to continue to emit to pay for our social security, to pay for our health services, to pay for our roads. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the comparison comes from physical gold. So not the gold backed system, but physical gold and Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's wow. a long answer. That's a, <laughs> That's a very, That's very a long piece. answer. But so the interest of gold and government-backed currencies and money overall is also the value that you perceive out of it. The banknote that I have has value because I know I can use it in a system, right? Mm -hmm. How does Bitcoin work in that way? Because if it's not backed by anything, so the distance between you and the Bitcoin and the holder of the Bitcoin can be as big as you want or as small as you want because you have, can hold it directly. But what's the value of it? So there are two things. One, Bitcoin will not replace fiat money. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's in the short term, short mm -hmm. term, next 100 years, it's, I think it's virtually impossible to you replace heard it here first, fiat currency. Sorry? <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> But that's not the intent of it, right? That's, okay. that's why that's why the definition of Bitcoin being a true form of value is is where I refer to, right? So mm -hmm. you are right. So you cannot go exchange Bitcoin or Satoshis for a service or in any shop or most of the mm -hmm. shops around it. But what you can do is you can exchange that Bitcoin 
yeah. for fiat money. Okay. Right? So Bitcoin today is not a means of exchange for most of the current services, even though there's there's Lightning Network, but that's a whole episode just on it, right? Okay. Um, but you can exchange it into fiat currency. You can have it as a store of value, right? Mm-hmm. I can decide to buy a Bitcoin today because I believe that with the way that government uh, and public entities today deal with public expenditures, mm-hmm. taxes, social security, etc., will keep on printing money. So I can believe that it's a way to keep my specific value from being debased. Okay. So what my belief is today, I buy it for 10,000. In 10 years, not two months, not three months, because there's always volatility in the system, but in mm. 10 years, it will be worth more than the 10,000 I put today. Okay. Yeah. So gold went through all these layers, right? You had base gold, which was like the physical, mm-hmm. shiny metal gold yeah. in coins. Uh, that went into um, being an intermediary stage that happened in history was individual banks, banks, let's say, or traders or houses, you called them, and started issuing certificates for those coins and said, hey, look, uh, don't carry the coins around. Here's a certificate that shows that I will give you the coins, right? That eventually was like a Wild West system, which the government then took over and says, okay, forget everyone else's certificates. We're issuing our own certificate, which today we call fiat currency, mm-hmm. right? Dollars, euros. At one point in time, in the original system, that was representative of $10 of gold, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Um, and so what you're saying is the comparison with Bitcoin and gold is, Bitcoin isn't built off that gold reserve. It's its own value of currency, uh, store of value, uh, which is like holding gold coins, right? In a Correct. way. Correct. Because uh, it's not like, like today, um, you can print more and more notes not linked to gold, mm-hmm. right? It's going off the gold standard, we call yeah. it. Uh, but the big, so to hedge against that, you could have gold itself, or Correct. you can have a new store of value, which isn't which dependent be- on gold. Or cash, which is Bitcoin. Exactly. For example, it's as a, one value yeah, store of that. It's a new. It's it's a new asset class in the end. Yeah. It's a new value asset class. Yeah. So going back to one of Guillaume's problems earlier, why is that a problem? The fact that the government can has the control over fiat, not linked to gold anymore. There are two reasons, right? Or two reasons. There might be a series of reasons. One is the the supply of feedback currency, you have no control in it. So yeah. it can be as much or as little uh, as the government wants. You have no say in it, right? We talked about this in our episode about inflation. Exactly. Actually. And yeah. as you increase your supply, the unit value, the unit intrinsic value decreases, right? Mm-hmm. The inflation, right? Yeah. Uh, if it decreases the supply, then the economic impacts of what that might have on economic growth, that's another different story, yeah. right? So you see it today. Right, the rise in interest rates, the potential quantitative tightening, right, takes out liquidity from the market. Everything has a tendency to slow down. People become more conservative. Mm-hmm. From a fiat point of view, things will not necessarily lose value, but will not grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you are taking out of your value system the counterparties, or at least as many counterparties as possible, mm-hmm. to rely on one network instead. Yes. Um, and this is all basically just counterparty risk. You don't want anybody to have a say into what the value you have is worth, nor to control it in a, in a, matter, in a way. What will say what the value is worth 
of whatever number of Satoshis I hold yeah. is the market. Satoshis? What is Satoshis? Uh, Satoshis are the sub uh, elements of, um, of Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Okay. Right, so one Bitcoin is a hundred million Satoshis. Mm -hmm. Satoshi Nakamoto is the supposedly creator of okay. the Bitcoin protocol. Okay. Okay. Um, so the value of the Bitcoin, the Satoshis, will mm -hmm. be dictated by the market, will be dictated by the market and mm -hmm. in terms of fiat currency. Precisely because of what you mentioned before. Today, I cannot use Bitcoin to exchange it for yeah. anything else specifically. Okay. That's very clear. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that episode. That was super fun. Don't forget the next episode is going to relate all of this back to Treasury. So do keep a lookout for that. And like I said, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and give this podcast a rating now. See you next time.